says, When therefore the Lord knew how that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, lest you think that Jesus and John were in a competition, uh, it was only a competition in the mind of the Pharisees. It was only a competition in the mind of the carnal. There was not a competition in the kingdom. John himself said, I'm not even worthy to unloose the latchet of his shoes. John said, he must increase, I must decrease. So John was not trying to compete with Jesus. John was pointing the way to Jesus. But the Pharisees are now hearing, wow, this this Jesus, he's making more disciples than John. So Jesus leaves Judea, goes into Galilee, and the Bible says he must needs go through Samaria. He cometh to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to a parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Just picture your least favorite city in South Dakota. And imagine that Jesus is going to make you stop there for lunch. (laughs) For some of you, you're picturing Watertown. Some of you are picturing Huron, Aberdeen, Woonsocket. That's my favorite name. <laughs> Anyways, he's taking him to Samaria. There is a, a major, major cultural hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews. They do not mix. Jews would usually go around. They would cross the Jordan, go around Samaria, the, the region of Samaria. But Jesus says, look, I've got to go through Samaria. And Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, look at this this clause, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. John includes for us a detail that reminds us, though he is God manifested in the flesh, Jesus is very much flesh. He is tired from the long walk that he's been on. And so he sits by the well, and it's about the sixth hour. We'll skip down to verse 31. Jesus sends his disciples into the town. The Samaritan woman comes out. The mass comes down. Jesus begins to minister to her. In in the Gospels, uh, as long as I've got chronological order right in the Gospels, this seems to be the very first person that Jesus reveals himself to and says that I am the Messiah, And she runs back into the city to begin to tell everybody what's going on. And the Bible says in verse 31, in the meanwhile, while his his disciples, the lady runs off, his disciples are, are saying to him, Master, eat. We went into the city. We held our nose, we, we gagged a little bit, we went in, we went to the, the McDonald's in, in Samaria. Well, Jesus, he, he's probably more of a Culver's kind of guy maybe than a McDonald's guy. But we went, we picked you up a cheeseburger, we brought it out, and Jesus says to them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. And the disciples say one to another, well, did, did somebody bring him food? Did, did we miss something here? Somebody bring him a cheeseburger? And Jesus saith unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. This morning I want to teach for the next few moments on the meat that Jesus ate. He goes on to tell his disciples, look, 
Don't say that there's four months till the harvest, and the harvest is coming. But behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored and ye are entered into their labors. The meat that Jesus ate. I find it interesting in a society with so much time, money, and effort devoted to leisure and entertainment that we are a people so tired. We, we know we're tired because there's like a multi-billion dollar mattress industry in the United States alone. People are trying to make it rich by inventing that next mattress that's going to promise the best night's sleep possible. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You get those targeted ads when you're scrolling through the news or looking at, at social media, and you get like seven mattress ads in a row. And you're like, man, what's going on? You, you just are reading these advertisements and you start yawning. Jesus makes a statement in John chapter 9 and verse 4. He says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. We're a, a tired society. We're a tired, often country. And it is, it's, it's almost sometimes like a badge of honor, you know, like, I, I'm so tired. I, oh, I'm so weary. I'm so worn down. But it's not always a physical fatigue that we're feeling. There are times, and, and as, as you grow in discernment, you learn to, to begin to discern real thing. There was a general in World War II whose name was Lucian Truscott, commander first of the 3rd Infantry Division, and then he took over, ended up by the end of the, the war commanding all Allied troops in, in Italy, I believe. But I was reading through a book, and I ran across this quote of his. He says, never was a great battle won without tired soldiers. He was speaking to a subordinate who was receiving orders about four days into a battle to suddenly change direction. And this subordinate was trying to confess to him and try to explain to him, look, my men are tired. But the general could sense the breakthrough that was imminent and told him, look, push them a little bit harder. Any battle that's going to be won is going to bring about some fatigue. Now, perhaps this seems fairly obvious, but I'd like to establish it anyways this morning. The kingdom and its king requires its servants, that's us, to work. The kingdom requires work of its servants. From the very beginning, it was the design of God. We spoke about it a couple of Wednesdays ago. Even in paradise, Adam had to tend the garden. 
He had to have dominion over it. He had to rule in that garden. I believe that there was some tending to these trees, some tending to these plants that Adam had to do. Work was not a result of the fall. But the king requires the servants to work. Church attendance and devotional life alone are not the work of the kingdom. That is spiritual survival. Without these disciplines built into your life, you are fading away, you're falling away, and spiritual survival is impossible. You have to connect to the body of Christ. You have to connect to Christ in, in, in prayer and in reading of his word. That's, that's not the work of the kingdom. That's merely survival in the kingdom. But kingdom work rarely involves spirit alone. This mortal flesh is the vessel through which God often operates. This mortal flesh has limits, and those limits must be respected. There is, of course, a certain level of irony as I prepared for this 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 week and, and praying about it this week and preparing last night, coming off of youth convention where I, I realized very quickly I am not 25 anymore. I'm, I'm 34 if you've ever wondered, uh, but boy do I feel old after, after a youth convention. That time spent with kids that have boundless energy uh, fueled, of course, by three or four Red Bulls a day. Uh, the, these kids just have boundless energy. They can go to bed at three. They can get up at seven and go fill themselves with hotel waffles and syrup and be like attacking the day. But all the old folks, we're, we're creaking and cracking our way out of bed. Why? Because this flesh has boundaries. This, this physical body has an extension of only, I can only go so far. The issue is often, however, where do we draw these limits? If my physical body can only go so far, and I'm called to be a worker in the kingdom of God as a disciple of Jesus Christ, as, a, as James would call himself and Jude would call himself, a slave of Jesus Christ, and my physical flesh has limitations, then where do I draw the line? What fills my day? Adding in can only go so far. So before anybody panics and thinks that uh, I'm going to ask you to like add nine things into your day, it's not possible. At a certain point, you can only add so many things in before other things are dropped and left and neglected. You have a limitation to the amount of time that you have in a day. But I also remind you that each of us has the same amount of time in a day. The CEO of the busiest company in the world has the same 24 hours in the day that you do. That athlete that is performing at a gold medal level and winning the Olympics or, or a star quarterback, they have the same amount of time in the day that you do. 
The, the preacher that comes in and delivers an incredible word and prays 96 people through to the Holy Ghost or the person that's teaching 19 Bible studies a week, they have the same amount of time in the day that you do. But where do you fill your day? And what are you filling your day with? Stewardship applies just as much to our time and our focus as it does to our finances. If you're too busy to work in the kingdom, you're too busy. If your schedule is too full to teach a Bible study, something has to slide out of the way. Why? Because this flesh has limits. Now, if you're sleeping 10 hours a day, I can make a suggestion of something that could give. You could donate two to three hours of sleep and give those two to three hours of sleep to the kingdom of God. Unless you're like six years old and you need 10 to 12 hours of sleep a day, okay? But if you're like 30 years old and you're sleeping 10 to 12 hours a day, there, there's where we start the discussion. Now, I, I severely doubt any adults under the sound of my voice are sleeping 10 hours a day. But we have to steward the short time that we have uh, appropriately giving a balance of our time, giving the focus of our life to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. If I'm too busy to teach a Bible study, I'm too busy. If I'm too busy to make it to the house of God every time that the doors are open, I'm too busy and my life is out of order. The work and mission of the kingdom must retain their place as the most important task in the life of a disciple. Nothing you do is more important than kingdom work. Nothing that you do is more important than kingdom work. Earthly labor, again, we talked about it a Wednesday or two ago, Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, if a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. All right? Earthly labor might consume more of your time, but your job, your career can never replace the priority of taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. I might have to give 40, I might have to give 50 hours a week to work a job to provide for my family and keep a roof over their head, but that does not mean that my job is my number one priority. My number one priority must remain working the work of him that sent me while it's still day. And sidebar, you can and must do the work of the kingdom at your physical job. That is a mission field that God has made available for you. These aren't separate things that you compartmentalize and you punch into a clock and you punch out at the end of the day and then say, hey, I'm going to do kingdom work. Uh, but when you punch that clock and you come on for your employer and you're being the best employee that they have, uh, your head is also on a swivel and your spirit is also stirred inside of you because unless you work in a oneness apostolic place where everybody 
everybody saved, then you're on a mission field. And while you're making widgets in a factory, you're looking across the way at somebody stamping parts on another machine saying, how can I get the kingdom into their life? How can I get the word of God in their life? If you're on a roof pulling shingles or you're driving a tractor or you're flipping burgers or you're making coffee, every thought is, I got to do kingdom work. How can I tell this person about Jesus? How can I do something? I want to read. I need to provide for my family. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to labor. But I also want to do the work of the kingdom because that's my number one priority. That's my number one focus. These are not mutually exclusive things. In John 4, the disciples were confused as to why Jesus was not devouring the food that they went into the despised Samaria to grab. But they had yet to receive the revelation. Kingdom work will refresh your soul even while it fatigues your flesh. There's something about working in the kingdom that brings virtue to you simply because you are doing the work of him who sent you. I've shared it before and I'll share it again. There's, just, there's, there's Bible studies that will, uh, sometimes some will drain you. But then there's those moments in time where you're teaching a Bible study and you watch the light bulb flash on in somebody's brain. When all of a the sudden they start explaining the oneness of God back to you and saying, I see it. All of scripture makes sense. There's virtue just flooding into your heart and a smiles on your face. And though your throat might be raw from talking for an hour or two hours, all of a the sudden there's just, it feels like you could take on hell with a squirt gun. That's what I'm talking about. There's a virtue that flows into you simply Simply by doing what you were created and designed to do in the kingdom of God. Jesus spoke what the Father said, went where the Father said, did what the Father said, and as such received in his spirit refreshment and encouragement. The satisfaction gained by obedience to the Great Commission will never be matched by the entertainments of this world. The spiritual rest that you receive from simply being obedient to what God has asked each and every one of us to do. That's why it's called the Great Commission. It's not just for me. It's not just for Bishop. And it's not just for a select few. But it was everybody tasked with taking this gospel to the world and simply being obedient to what Jesus asked us to do is going to provide us with a meat that others don't understand and don't receive. You see, I'd rather fall into bed physically exhausted, spirit, but my conscience churning over inside of me about missed opportunities to be obedient to his heavenly calling. Maybe the reason you're having trouble sleeping is not because your mattress isn't comfortable, but because your conscience isn't comfortable because today was another misopportunity. God is stirring your heart uh, and poking you and prodding you, and you're misinterpreting the signal and thinking, I'm physically tired, I'm physically worn out, uh, but what would do you more good is not to try to get those extra three hours of sleep. Uh, it would be to spend some time uh, in prayer and spend 
spend some time in obedience and allow the power of the Holy Ghost to bring refreshment to your spirit. Do not coddle your flesh at the expense of the kingdom. <coughs> Discipline your flesh and expect it to do kingdom work. <coughs> Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9 and 27, But I keep under my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached unto others, I myself should be a castaway. You've heard me make this statement before, or maybe you haven't. As the active move of the Holy Ghost decreases in our life, excuse me, our need for entertainment increases. Often I feel the stirring to intercession as a heaviness in spirit. It could be easy to misidentify this as fatigue or weariness in the flesh. So instead of finding a place to pray and handle the burden and receive the virtue in your spirit that causes that burden to lift and you to get a spiritual boost, one could think, man, I'm, I'm really tired. I'm worn out. I'm so tired, I'm crabby. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you could think, I, I, just, I just need to relax. That's what I need to do. I need to relax. Maybe the couch, a YouTube video, something, something funny will just help me relax. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I, I tossed about reading the entire chapter because the entire chapter applies very directly to what we're talking about. But Paul finishes, we're not going to do that, but that would be a great homework assignment for you. Uh, go read 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But near the end of the chapter, Paul begins to make this statement. For the which cause we faint not. The cause that he's talking about is the preaching of the gospel. It's, it's, it's reminding the church in Corinth that the God of this world has blinded the mind of them that believe not. And it's the church's job to help peel that blindfold off of the, the eyes of a world. But Paul also says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. You have physical limitations. We're going to talk about those in just a minute. You have physical limitations, and you have to respect those. You cannot drive yourself mercilessly. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a proper use of the time that we do have. But he says this, For the which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man, your spirit, is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 
There is a price that is paid. Your physical body at times will grow fatigued doing the work of the kingdom, but you must not back off of the work of the kingdom and coddle the flesh and allow the flesh just to have whatever it wants. But like Paul, we discipline this flesh. Paul said he, he, he was going to train himself like an athlete. He was going to train himself like one that was competing in the arena so that his, his spiritual work would be furthered. His spiritual work would receive the focus of his life. Jesus talks also about sending his disciples to reap where somebody else has sown. It is refreshing to know that it's not all on your shoulders. One plants, one waters, another harvests, but it's God that gives that increase. This is the 11th hour. We are the 11th hour laborers in the kingdom of God. We are the ones, I believe, upon whom the end of this world has come. And just because we only have to bear the labor for one hour doesn't mean that we get to just think, hey, we're short time and we don't have to do anything. But we should work all the harder and all the more diligently. Why? Because the time is short and the fields are white. There are souls all around us every day that need somebody to tell them about Jesus. Luke chapter 6 and verse 19 talk about the meat that Jesus ate. Jesus is finishing up teaching. He's being mobbed by a multitude. The whole multitude sought to touch him, Luke writes, for there went virtue out of him and healed them all. Can you imagine how exhausting that is? Now, for a moment, our celebrity mindset and celebrity culture would be like, man, everybody wants to see me. But not only does everybody want to see you, they want something from you. And they're not even asking. They're so desperate for their need to be met that they're just grabbing at Jesus. They're just touching him. And the virtue is flowing out of him, and it's healing them. And I'm sure the crowd is getting worked into a frenzy because all of a sudden this lame man that grabbed at Jesus on the way by jumps up and receives a healing. Now everybody's trying to reach for Jesus, and virtue is rushing out of him. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. That word virtue is the same Greek word as the word for power, which is dunamis. And dunamis is the basis of the English word, what we call dynamite. So power was flowing out of Jesus. This this heavenly power was flowing out of him, and so he needed to refresh that. Now, he had the spirit without limit. 
All right, we've been baptized with the Holy Ghost. He, he was the Holy Ghost, all right? He had a limitless vessel to give. But Jesus also told us uh, that out of our belly would flow a river of living water. This spake he of the Holy Ghost, which was not yet given. But the day would come, and he tells his disciples, ye shall receive dunamis. Ye shall receive this virtue that's been flowing out of me. You're going to get it when the Holy Ghost comes into your life. Could it be that we're often so tired because we're trying to accomplish in the flesh what can only be done in the spirit? You will be exhausted and you're battling ineffective if you try to fight spiritual warfare in your flesh. So, rest. Take care of your flesh, but do not be ruled by your flesh. Do not allow your flesh to dictate your calendar and your daily planner. Allow the king to dictate your calendar and your daily planner. There are times you will minister at a deficit. And it's not wrong. There will be seasons, there will be moments of your life where, yes, your flesh is perishing day by day, but in that time, your inward man can be renewed, your inward man can be strengthened. Now, there are practical things that you can do to increase the capacity of your flesh. Diet will give you more fleshly energy. Your flesh is tired because it's carrying around 50 to 100 extra pounds. Of course we need a mattress. <laughs> You'd be tired too. Exercise, and I, I am swinging at myself here, okay? I, exercise is one of the easiest things to cut out of your crowded day because you don't feel the effects immediately. It's only later that you feel this accumulated thing. And on a Sunday when I'm preaching and I'm seeing stars and my vision is coming in, I'm thinking to myself, I really need some cardio. You can expand the capacity of your flesh, not so that your flesh can get a gold medal and you can win the Olympics, but so that your flesh is not the limitation to the kingdom work that God seeks to do through you. Discipline your flesh, order your flesh, bring your flesh into subjection so that you can be a more effective disciple of Jesus Christ. Not so you can have six-pack abs and make it on the cover of a magazine, but so that your flesh isn't the thing that's breaking down when there's a harvest to be brought into the barn of souls that need to be reached with the gospel. Physical rest is important. Jesus was so tired after ministering, he sleeps on a pillow in a raging storm. Yes, I understand that he was peace and he was in charge of the storm, but I also believe that his physical flesh was exhausted. And so he went into a boat, he laid down on a pillow, and he was dead to the world. Timing of this rest is important. You can miss the moment of visitation because you're allowing this flesh rest when God is calling in the Spirit. Jesus is warring in the Garden of Gethsemane, and disciples are sawing logs under a fig tree. See, there's an opportunity for them to be bearing a burden with him. 
He's desperate for friends to watch with him. He's desperate for somebody just to pray with me. Somebody be with me. But his disciples are all sawn logs. See, the timing of this rest is important. You've got to be sensitive enough to the Holy Ghost to know that this is a moment for me to recharge or this is a moment for me to operate at a deficit because God's calling for something. God's asking for something. So physical rest is important. Take care of this body, not for this body's sake, but for the kingdom's sake. Spiritual rest is to do the works of the one that sent you. It seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? You rest by working. You gain spiritual rest through obedience to the commandments of God. But he gave us something else called the comforter. And spiritual rest comes to us when we lean on the power of the Holy Ghost. Jesus would say in Matthew 11 and 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Worldly entertainment is not going to bring that spiritual rest that you need. Jesus will bring the spiritual rest that you need. Isaiah 28 and 11 says, With stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. And look at the, look at the last line tagged on there. Yet they would not hear. If we are going to, as Paul does in 1 Corinthians, apply verse 11 to the infilling of the Holy Ghost, then we must apply verse 12 to the ability of the Holy Spirit to bring refreshment to us. James says it this, or Jude rather, says it this way in Jude 1 and 20, but ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Let's all stand together in this place this morning. When you are fatigued and you are tired and your focus is a little bit off and you feel a little bit haggard and run down, give your body a little bit of rest. Yes, get some sleep, eat a salad, put aside the Coke. Don't limit the coffee if need be. A little bit, it's, it's, it's okay, all right? But your greatest source of rest is going to come when you find a place of prayer and allow the Spirit of God to do exactly what it was intended to do, to put power and virtue back into you. And so why don't we do in this moment for the next few minutes exactly what Jude was telling us to do. Anybody come to the house of God fatigued? A little bit tired, a little bit weary, a little bit run down. Now, we're going we're gonna to minister at a deficit until nap time this afternoon, okay? I'm going to discipline this tired flesh today to respond to the preaching of the Word of God. I'm not going to give this flesh excuse to sit back and say, man, I had a busy week. Go ahead and preach, preacher. But I can receive spiritual refreshment right here and right now simply by tapping into the flow of the Spirit which can come to me like a river of living water and begin to flow out of my belly. But though my outward man perish, my inward man can be renewed in a moment when the virtue of God begins to flow through me. So why don't we lift our hands in this place right now and let's ask God for a spiritual refreshing to begin to flow. If you are tired, if you are weary, 
hungry, your answer is not a nap or a new mattress. It is to get in the Holy Ghost and stay in the Holy Ghost until you feel a lift in your spirit begin to flow. Go ahead and pray, church, for the next few minutes until you feel a redemption power, until you feel the virtue of the Lord beginning to flow. I pray, God, that rivers of living water would begin to usher forth out of the belly. We are going to discipline this flesh. We're not going to coddle it. We're not just going to allow it to do whatever we want. We're not going to ignore the laws of nature and of nutrition, God. But I'm also not going to make excuse. And I'm not going to set aside kingdom work. But God, I believe in the power of your spirit to bring virtue. I believe in the power of the Holy Ghost to make my spirit filled with joy. I've got access to meat, Lord, that this world doesn't know about. I've got access to a source of strength and refreshment that this world knows nothing about. I thank you, Lord, for your spirit. I thank you, Lord, for the refreshing of the Holy Ghost.